G'day, welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. I'm Graham Curry, your host from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilos or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle, and I successfully maintained that weight loss now, coming up two years. I wanted to bring this series of podcasts to you to give you an insight into what it's like to living an intermittent fasting lifestyle. I'm also the author of the book, The Fasting Highway, which is a story of my journey overcoming chronic addiction to fast food and sugar and taking that walk from morbid obesity to normality. So sit back here with us on the Fasting Highway in the next few weeks and listen to some inspiring guests and some experts in the intermittent fasting community. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the show. G'day. Welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast and this is episode 80. And just before we get to today's guest, I just wanted to give a big shout out to the Fasting Highway Facebook group. The Fasting Highway Facebook group has grown rapidly. We just crossed 3,000 members in a short period of time from all over the world. So if you want to know a bit more about intermittent fasting and what it's actually like to live the journey, then come and join us there. If you want to read a bit about my own story, my personal weight loss, uh, 60 kilos, 132 pounds with intermittent fasting and all the in-betweens, then you can get a hold of a copy of my book, The Fasting Highway, on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback. And thanks to everybody that has or may be thinking about it. So let's get to today's guest, and I'm going to be talking with Alison Woods. And Alison has had a few trials and tribulations in her life, which she's overcome. And Alison holds a master's degree in public health, specializing in health education, and a doctorate in psychology in organization development. And Alison has many years' experience in health education and training, individual and executive coaching, facilitating groups, and career counseling. And Alison lives in Sacramento, California, in the United States, with her wife and their very active six year old son and two dogs. And with her newfound energy from intermittent fasting, Alison enjoys bike riding, golfing, swimming, and lifting weights. And she is an organization development consultant as well as an intermittent fasting coach. And she's also an avid crafter and hobby baker. So here to join us to tell us about her amazing journey with intermittent fasting over the last two years is Alison Woods. Oh, g'day, Alison, and welcome to the Fasting Highway, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Graham. It's such an honor to be here with you. Oh, it's an honor to have you here as well, and um, I absolutely love your story, Alison. So for people out there that don't know you, if you would have mind sharing a bit of your backstory and what actually led you to finding intermittent fasting in the first place, Alison? Sure. Uh, well, I have been overweight, obese, and then morbidly obese uh, my entire uh, adult life, even uh, before adulthood, uh, until I found intermittent fasting. Um, at the age of like two or three, my mom tells this story about how she brought me over to a neighbor for a play date and when she picked me up the neighbor was like Allison was great but she ate all the cookies from our cookie jar and that's 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 who I was I was a sneak eater Um, I was always looking for food and food was always part of uh, wherever I was food was there Um, and my very first diet was when I was age nine. I was taking tap and jazz dancing, and I was the biggest girl in the class. And it's really hard to be light on your feet when you're overweight at that age. And 
so my mom helped me find one. It was called the Cambridge Diet. And it was these terrible, terrible, what they called candy bars, but they tasted like styrofoam and powders that you're supposed to make into drinks and whatever. And that's when it started. And I've basically been on some form of weight loss or diet plan or um, being part of Overeaters Anonymous up until intermittent fasting, until I found intermittent fasting. And, you know, my parents really tried, right? They had uh, a no snacks in the house rule. They didn't have sweets in the house, but I still found a way to find them. And when I was 16, I started driving and, uh, oh my goodness, then I could go get my own food, right? And like drive-throughs and all of this. And so uh, my very first car I got was a stick shift so that I figured I couldn't eat French fries and drive a stick shift at the same time. Uh, you know, it wasn't safe and I couldn't do it. Well, that only lasted like a, a week or two. And then I managed to figure out how to drive a stick shift one-handed, Oh my gosh, I hope nobody was on the road with me when I did that. Um, and then yeah. uh, I still was trying to find ways to stop eating. And so the stick shift thing didn't work as well. So then I had the brilliant idea that I would start smoking. So, right? so I'm 16 and I start smoking cigarettes because I hated the taste of cigarettes. And I thought if I'm smoking, then I won't want to eat because it'll ruin the taste of the food. And there's no way that I could smoke and drive a stick shift and eat French fries at the same time. Uh, and soon after that, I was driving my stick shift, smoking my cigarettes, going through drive throughs uh, and it just didn't work. And uh, I just kept eating and getting bigger and bigger. And um, uh, so my story eventually leads me to, uh, to drugs and, um, I will say this, I have been clean and sober since June 9th of 1993, but, uh, I, I started doing drugs and, um, the reason I liked them was they took my appetite away and I could stop eating. And it was the first time I had ever stopped eating all the time. And so um, I loved it. But of course, drugs have their own side effects. And uh, it was terrible. Uh, and that didn't uh, last very long, I had to stop. Um, and so uh, but when I got to rehab, I remember they took a picture of me. And I had been thinking I was looking so good. I had, um, I had been at the time around like a size 24. And I had gotten down to like a size 16 or 14. And I was like, oh, I'm looking good. But the picture they took, like I'm all sunken in and just looking terrible because I'm malnourished. I'm not healthy. Um, and, uh, and and it, it didn't last. As soon as I got sober, I started eating again um, and, and went right back to trying all different kinds of diets. Um, I will say two years after I got clean and sober, I did stop smoking. So I've been smoke free since 1995, too. Um, but then just, I was, uh, uh, in college, uh, a few years later, uh, and I remember I wanted to do diet center and there it was specific food and you had to microwave your food. So I had to get special permission to have a microwave in my dorm room and all of these things. And, uh, yet I was still asking my friends to go to the cafeteria and get me food. 
and I was eating my friend's food, even though I was no longer on the food plan because we had gotten all this special permission for me not to be on it. But I'm still sneaking the food and I'm still eating, even though I'm supposed to be on this this diet plan. Um, and so, uh, so many diets, so many gyms that I would join with all great intentions and still not lose the weight. And soon after joining, stop going. Um, and towards the end here, like the last four or five years, six years, uh, before I found intermittent fasting or so, I could do maybe 90 days of any kind of diet or weight loss scheme. And then I would fall off of it. And I would fall off hard, like jump off a cliff and go back to eating giant uh, Costco-sized pies with a fork. And um, so there I was. I've been on a diet like all up until uh, two years ago. And I had dieted my way all the way up to 369 pounds, uh, which I looked it up. It's over 167 kilos. And uh, I found myself having lots of health issues. I had high blood pressure. I had thyroid issues that needed medication. I had debilitating plantar fasciitis. I could not walk without shoes with an insert in them at all. Uh, and then I couldn't walk very far at all. Um, I remember Disneyland is one of my favorite places. I would have to rent a scooter to get around Disneyland. There was no way I could walk around Disneyland. Um, and I was pre-diabetic and my A1C was climbing. So in 2011, uh, in August of 2011, I had a Roux Y gastric bypass where they basically rearrange all your insides so that part of your stomach is no longer part of your digestive system and they make a little pouch at the end of your esophagus. Uh, and over two years after the gastric bypass, I lost over 150 pounds and um, I, I got down to like 213 pounds, um, which is a little over 96 kilos. But then it's like, as soon as I hit that 213, I almost immediately started regaining and went back up and was back up to 230, 240 pounds. And, uh, and I had gotten married in that time. And I remember I picked out the dress when I was at my lowest weight. And by the time the dress came, I was back up 20 pounds and I was desperately trying to lose those 20, just those 20 pounds again so I could fit in my wedding dress. And it ended up, I had to go to a seamstress who basically had to rip out almost every single seam of my wedding dress and put it back together and add more fabric for it to fit around me. And um, soon after uh, I got married, I got pregnant. And my wife and I have a six-year-old son now, but um, that was in 2015. He was born, and uh, through the course of that pregnancy and then afterwards, I ended up regaining a total of 70 pounds back after the gastric bypass. Uh, and then for four and a half years after having him, I kind of bounced around between like 265 and 284 pounds. Um, which is uh, like 120 to 128 kilos. And so um, that's kind of like where I was right up until the moment I found intermittent fasting. Uh, and um, so my wife had gone to uh, 
get my wedding ring cleaned from our jeweler. And our jeweler was someone who had been very morbidly obese. He couldn't walk from the back of his store to the front unassisted. When he came to the front, he had to have a stool immediately. He couldn't stand to help customers. And um, she came home and she said, you have to go see him. You, you won't believe the change. And so I went to pick up the ring. And when I picked it up, here comes this younger looking guy bouncing out of the back room um, and uh, standing and, and able to move. And he looked great. He had lost a significant amount of weight. And I was like, please tell me what you did. And he was like, I'm doing intermittent fasting. And he told me a little bit about it. And I started thinking, oh, wow, this is great. I can do it. But then he went on to tell me what he was eating. And, and basically, he was eating a keto diet while doing it. And keto diet just doesn't work for me. I don't eat a lot of the foods. I don't eat a, a huge amount of uh, meat-based proteins. And so um, I, and I do enjoy carbs. And so I was like, oh, no, oh, no, here's another thing that works for everybody else, but won't work for me. And I was like, okay. Uh, but then my wife came home and said a doctor that she works with does intermittent fasting, but he eats just regular food. He doesn't eat anything specific. And so he, uh, and I was like, well, uh, I really respect him. We really respect him. And so if he thinks he does this and he feels great and he says that this works, I need to give it a try. So um, I decided to do my own research. <laughs> I looked up on the internet, you know, Google and Facebook. And um, I found an intermittent fasting group that was going to help me figure out how to do this. Um, but uh, they were really more of a calories in, calories out focus in that group. I hadn't yet uh, found your group or uh, any of the books I now follow. But that was in May of 2019, just before my 50th birthday. And I, I call it now that I started dabbling and I started trying it. Um, I started with 168, uh, but I was white knuckling it the whole time because they said it was about calories, right? So they said, as long as you were having less than 10 calories during your fasting time, then you would be okay. And we, we both know that that doesn't work. And so, but I was drinking diet seven ups and I was chewing gum. And so I was not clean fasting and it was so hard. It was so hard. I didn't know how people were doing. And I was like, there's no way people are fasting more than 16 hours. It's just not possible. Um, but then uh, in one of those groups, in one comment, someone said, if you really want to know how to fast, read Delay, Don't Deny by Jim Stevens. And I downloaded the book immediately. I stayed up all night reading it. I have been clean fasting ever since then. That was in August of 2019. Um, right after I finished Delay, Don't Deny, based on her recommendations, I listened to the obesity code on Audible. And uh, I haven't had any. Uh, artificial sweeteners or diet soda since then. And I used to drink like a gallon of diet soda a day. I mean, I would buy uh, a 24 pack and it would last me maybe a day or two. Uh, I always had a diet soda. And so that still blows me away that I just, it's just not mine. I just don't drink diet soda anymore. Uh, and I, I just kind of worked my way up from 16.8 up to my sweet spot, which is a uh, 20 hours fasting and a four hour eating window. So that's kind of where I am. 
Wow, that's fantastic. And I think a lot of us found our way to intermittent fasting, Alison, via the Delay Don't Deny book by Jen Stevens. And a big shout out to Jen. She's a, a great friend of mine and I think she's a very inspiring person. So, Alison, I know people like to know the stats. So if you wouldn't mind, just when you started that intermittent fasting two years ago, just run us through your stats, your weight and that sort of thing. And also people like to know what height you are, please. Sure, sure. So when I actually started intermittent fasting, I was 284 pounds, which is 128.82 kilos. And uh, my current weight uh, is 148 pounds. So I have lost over 135 pounds so far, and I am five, five and a half. <laughs> I used to be five, six, so I still claim that half an inch. <laughs> wow. Well, um, but yeah, yeah, it's incredible. It is incredible when you think about it. five foot five. I mean, I'm six foot five, and I was carrying that same weight almost to a T. What you what 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 you weighed? I know how it affected me. So you being a foot shorter, that must have been tough for you. But Alison, you mentioned there you started at the sixteen and eight, and just explain to us why you chose to start there. Was it something you read, or did it just fit in with your life at the time? Um, so I started with 16-8 basically because that first group that I, um, that I was in said, that's the minimum you needed. And, uh, I decided to keep up with the 16-8 after I read Delay, Don't Deny, because that's when, um, really you start to see the ramp up of fat burning and autophagy. And I knew that I wanted to work my way up to, to either 18 or 20 hours fasted. I really, in the beginning, didn't, didn't fathom 20 hours, but I wanted to get to 18 because I knew of, about the increase in fat burning, which is obviously, that's why I was there. I was looking to burn as much fat as possible. So um, that's kind of why I started with that. Okay, and we talk about clean fasting, of course. Were you clean fasting right from the start? Did you get that message or did you sort of slowly work into that? Yeah. So, you know, when I was dabbling, I, I was not clean fasting and I was, I was struggling with the diet soda and the chewing gum. I was definitely struggling. And once I read her book, so since August of 2019, I have clean fasted. Every single fast I have done has been clean ever since. So uh, even right now, I've got my San Pellegrino. Uh, I drink water. Uh, I'm not a coffee drinker. So that, that wasn't ever an issue for me. And um, occasionally in the winter, I, I will have a cup of uh, plain black tea. But most of the time, I'm drinking my sparkling mineral water or just plain flat water. Yeah, and just with the differences between what we call dirty fasting, which spikes our insulin, of course, during our fast. And then when you found that clean fast, what sort of things did you sort of recognize straight away? What were the differences? Yeah, so immediately it was easier to fast. Like, and immediately I, I can tell you, even to this day, when I switch to fat burning, I can tell it's like my little gremlin, I call it, my gremlin wakes up a little bit. Anywhere between 10 hours and 14 hours, depending upon how much food and, and what I've eaten the day before. But I could start to really feel the signals in my body and I could... Uh, for the first time, I really felt what it meant to eat to satiety because I didn't understand that. I never had an off switch. 
Uh, I know now that it's because insulin blocks our brain from being able to read the leptin signals that are being sent. And leptin is our is the hormone that tells our body, hey, we're done eating and uh, go out and do some exercise or go have fun outside. But my brain couldn't see leptin because my insulin was high all the time. You know, even when I was on a diet, I was still having diet soda all the time. But certainly when I was not, when I was now clean fasting, I could suddenly start to really feel the effects of what, what I was doing with my body and how fasting was helping me and, and when to stop eating. And, and that, that was amazing to me. It was just amazing. Yeah, I think it is. And also, I always sort of like to think about it. When I get late into my fast, it's almost like I've got a team of like Oompa Loompas, if you like, inside me running around with scrubbing brushes and scrubbing my cells clean and all that sort of thing and regenerating my insides. And I just love that feeling. It's amazing that I just think, hey, I'm just letting myself fast and I'm getting all these things done and the processes, you know, giving my organs a rest from digesting food all day. And it just feels amazing. So, Alison, we often talk in the community, the IF community, about what we call non-scale victories and the health benefits. Mm -hmm. You already mentioned the plantar fasciitis, that sort of thing. What's some of those that mm -hmm. came for you? Yeah, so um, I've actually, I actually started writing down all of my non-scale victories. Um, I've written down over 100 of them so far. So uh, I picked out just a, a couple for today. Um, the number one for me and the reason why I continue to uh, love this lifestyle is my ability to be present for my family and friends. Before IF, I was in a fog. I was either in a fog because I was in like a food coma or, or an insulin fog, or I was obsessed with food. And all I could do is think about what I was eating, what you were eating, when was I going to get to eat what you were eating, how much, when was my next meal, when was my next snack. And with all that food chatter in my head, there wasn't a lot of room for me to just be present and focused on the people who I was with. And so that, that's the number one thing that that food chatter is clearing up. Uh, and the freedom that I have now to just move in the world and live in the world and just be is, is just incredible. I was so afraid of going to places I'd never been before because I never knew what the seating was going to be like. Would I fit in the chairs? Would I be able to, if it was only a booth, would I be able to get in the booth? And then would I be able to get back out of the booth? Uh, navigating through places would the tables or chairs or situation be too short, small together that you know, for me to wiggle through, I'd be disturbing everybody or hurting myself. Uh, going to the theater was painful because the, the seat arms would just dig into me and I'd, you know, be contorting myself to try and fit and um, all of that. Uh, and then the one I know you and I share is flying on an airplane. Oh my goodness. I, I, I always bought two seats. Uh, because there was there was no way I could fit on one. Um, I, di I didn't always buy two seats, actually. It, it started after a horrendous airplane flight I had where uh, the person next to me kept jabbing the, the seat arm down into my leg uh, because my, my legs, you know, spilled over underneath the arm of the seat. And I, I'm pretty sure he knew he was jabbing that into my leg, but I was covered in bruises after that flight. And so 
after that, it, it cost me more money. I would always have to buy two seats and always have the seatbelt extender. And I don't have to do that anymore. And there's room at the end of the seatbelt. It's, it's an incredible, incredible feeling. Um, and then I, I think I already mentioned Disneyland is my happy place. And I get to go and just be present there and get to ride on all the rides without fear that I was going to break it or not fit or uh, that I was going to squish my little guy if we were in a car together. Um, and I'm not focused on food all day. And I'm not so stuffed that I'm uncomfortable trying to walk around and get to everything. I can just enjoy it. Uh, and, and the flexibility that this lifestyle offers is unparalleled, in my opinion. Um, I just have never found something that just works with, if I'm having lunch one day, but dinner the next day, okay, I can be flexible with how, how my schedule works. Um, when I'm on vacation, I'm eating differently. I'm eating on a different schedule. Okay, I'm still fasting. I'm still feasting. And uh, it's just, it's just, just incredible. Just incredible. Yeah, I totally agree. And so many of those things you just said resonated with me so much. You know, I used to go to restaurants too and scope out the chairs and make sure that they were going to fit me and that sort of thing. And I wasn't going to break them. And I know going to the movies was never very pleasant. You know, I always make sure I'd go to a movie theater or pay for the gold class movies with the bigger chairs and that sort of thing. And then I never got to the stage of the two seats thing because I always usually had somebody flying with me. It might have been one of my kids or uh, my wife or that sort of thing because I wouldn't fly by myself because I wasn't confident enough to do it. And then when I got the weight off and I was able to fly by myself, it was so freeing. Allison, and as you say, you get on and you do that seatbelt up for the first time and there's seven or eight inches hanging out and you just go, wow, that's amazing. And it's all these things post-obesity, isn't it, that a lot of people don't realize the mental part of that is just so great. And that's why I always say to people, the weight loss is fantastic, but the mental part that comes with it and all these freeing aspects are so much more. So Allison, speaking of that, we talk about mindset. I know this is something that you're really strong on. Mindset for me was about 90% of the actual process of doing intermittent fasting and sticking to it because it, the actual implementation of it is quite simple. But the mindset is a different story. Just run us through that. Yeah, yeah. And I am someone who likes to complicate everything. And so I wanted to keep trying to complicate how simple this was. And I had to keep coming back to it really is simple. Uh, yeah, so mindset is huge. And um, the first thing that I did was um, I, I started talking to myself and telling myself about how I was switching my focus from what I eat to when I eat and just focus on when I eat and stop trying to figure out what kinds of foods to eat and, and when to eat and how, or how much to eat and all of that, that came later, just to focus on when I'm eating and when I'm not eating and when I'm fasting. But um, I think the biggest mindset shift for me is that I own this lifestyle. I am an intermittent faster. This is not something I'm doing. This is not something I'm trying. And um, I think it's James Clear in his book, Automatic, uh, Automatic Habits, or Atomic Habits. Um, he talks about um, that when you take on an, an identity, that really helps you to change your behavior because you take on this identity of 
you know, I am a non-smoker, for example, will help you to, you know, say no to a cigarette. And this is me. I am an intermittent faster. I don't eat during my fast. That's just um, part of it. But the other part of the mindset shift for me is that there's no wagon with this to fall off of. There's no cliff. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing it and not doing it and doing it and not doing it. If my fast ends up shorter one day for whatever, because of life circumstances, it's okay. I still fasted. And then I just pick up and keep going instead of throwing in the towel and saying, oh, you know, I blew it today. So I might as well wait till next Monday. No, there was none of that. It was just, okay, just pick it back up, eat what I was going to eat, start my fast again, go back. Set my, I, I use timer on my phone, set my timer, keep going. And so that was part of my mindset to get uh, out of that kind of diet mentality of you're either doing it or you're not doing it. It's like, it's just continuous. Uh, and like I mentioned before, uh, flexible. Um, and so, you know, that diet mentality, that inner sabotaging voice that I have is also part of the mindset for me. You know, the inner, you can have a little something and just keep your window open or you can open early and all of, all of those, uh, voices that have quieted over time because I don't feed them. I, I tell them to just go sit in the corner, really, <laughs> and uh, don't listen to that. And um, uh, but I, I can say that even after two years, some of that mind chatter had started to come back. And so I started working with a coach and helping me to have strategies to combat the that because that's that's one of the things a coach can really do is help you specifically find uh, ways to. Um, do that mental mind shift that it that as you say it really is necessary yeah i agree totally allison it's fantastic so let's talk about the support networks you have you mentioned your wife there and your child that's six years old now how did the support networks work for you with friends family work colleagues that sort of thing allison yeah, I have an incredible network. I feel so blessed. So my wife actually started intermittent fasting soon after I did. And um, my mom, my mom, who's in her 70s, started uh, in uh, the middle of 2020. Uh, during the pandemic, she started intermittent fasting. And she's been on a diet her entire life. And uh, this is the first time that I can see her feeling good about food, feeling good about how she moves. And um, I, can, I can see all these NSVs that she's having, um, as well as she's gotten down to her goal weight, which is just, it's blowing her mind. And I just, I just love it. Um, and so now I have uh, a lot of my friends and neighbors who are doing intermittent fasting uh, because they're seeing my success. And when they ask me what I'm doing, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell them as much as they want to know. You know, I always start with, I switched my focus from what I eat to when I eat. And then if they're curious and they want to know more, I will tell, you know, I'll sit down and tell, talk to them for three days if they want uh, about it. And a lot of them have started it and are, are seeing the benefits themselves. Um, but I also uh, was lucky enough to be there when Jen Stevens had all of her Facebook groups. And so I felt like I was getting individual coaching directly from her and getting that, that support from her. 
uh, and just being a part of a greater community where a lot of folks are of the same mindset and doing what you're doing, I think is really key to sticking with a new life, uh, a new lifestyle. Yeah, it is. And we mentioned in the intro there, Alison, of course, that you are an intermittent fasting coach yourself now. And just tell us how you actually moved into that. And also, just for people that may not know, what is an intermittent fasting coach? Yeah, sure. So um, I decided to move into becoming an intermittent fasting coach because uh, my friends and family were actually the ones who encouraged me uh, to start my coaching practice. Uh, they know my background in education, um, and it was a perfect fit for, for this. And it, um, I was already helping them, and they, they said, you would be a great coach. You, ne you need to go do this. You need to, you need to start a practice. And um, for me, I already have a master's degree in public health with a specialization in health education. I have my doctorate of psychology and organizational development. So I'm an organizational psychologist, but I have many, many years of coaching and group training and um, health education that I'm building on uh, as I'm building my coaching practice. But so what is a, a, an intermittent fasting coach? It's basically someone who's going to be there to guide you, provide you education, uh, help you figure out a personalized plan that works for you with your lifestyle, with the foods that you love. And as my mentor, Lori Lewis says, eat the foods you love and that love your body back. And so figuring out what those are is, is all part of it. And looking at um, having someone there to be able to give you immediate guidance and answer your questions directly and cheer you on. Um, that's, 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 I think, one of the, the greatest things that a coach can do is, is help you both when you're succeeding and also when you're struggling. They can help you see things that you may not even see are your pitfalls or where you're in your own way so that um, you can kind of move past that at a, at a quicker pace than, than just trying to find anything that might work. So. Yeah, and I guess people have that question, don't they? Like they'll say, well, what can coaches do that books, podcasts, videos, you know, Googling can't and that sort of thing. And I always say to them, well, you know, it's a bit like anything else. I mean, I, I can paint my house for free, right? But it might not look the best and it, I might not get the best result. So sometimes I need to go and get a professional to help me do any type of service. And I think intermittent fasting is the same because not everybody's on social media, are they, Alison? They're not all on Facebook. They're not all on Instagram. And a lot of people don't like sharing their weight and their battles and that sort of thing in the public domain of Facebook groups. And for me personally, I think that's where an intermittent fasting coach can be great, where they have that one-on-one -on -one interaction with people and they can really get that personal touch. But also... I just wondered also, would that be the type of people that actually reach out to you, Alison, as far as the coaching goes? Yeah, so the kind of people that uh, tend to reach out for coaches are exactly what you said, right? People who are not part of social media or who are not willing to share their details, um, but also busy people who 
believe that this will work for them, or at least are interested enough to try it, uh, but they don't have the time to do the research themselves. They don't have time to go and read all the books that an intermittent fasting coach will have read. They won't, don't have time to go do all the research that we've done uh, in order to really find the right protocol for themselves. Um, people who find themselves stuck, either not getting the results they were looking for, or they're on a plateau, um, or they're just not experiencing the kind of freedom that they hear others rave about. Those folks might benefit from a coach and um, people who have tried everything, but nothing has worked yet for them uh, could could really benefit from a coach. Um, and then people who are like me, who have that inner voice that can sabotage them. You know, a coach can really help root out that and help them find strategies to quiet that inner voice. And, um, you know, I... Uh, like I said, I had been fasting for almost two years and uh, my windows were starting to creep longer. My fasts were starting to creep shorter and uh, my weight was starting to go up. And I started working with a coach and really was able to help clean things up. Um, you know, the, the thing that a coach can do is they can see what's coming up behind you that you can't see for yourself, right? So they can really help you figure that out. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think coaches can really help with things like mindset, obviously, and particularly if you've been there and done it yourself, like what you have, right? Like if I'm talking mm -hmm. to somebody I want to coach me, or for me personally, I'd really love that, that the person that's actually coaching me has lived that journey. And they've been there and they've done it. They've gone through all the highs and lows, all those things that you describe when you're obese and then now you're not and what it's like and being able to relay that to somebody. But that's not disparaging anybody else either that may have not been overweight. They may be fully qualified and they may really understand the intricacies and the science behind intermittent fasting as well. And so I think there's a bit of both there, isn't there, Alison? Absolutely. I think it takes a balance of education and knowledge and, and doing the research and, and knowing and also the experience, whether it's the experience of having worked with a lot of people so you know what works and doesn't. But for folks like you and I who have lived it, we get it. And so I, I can so... I, I just see so many people who are still struggling and I just want to run up to them and give them a hug and, and you know, give them a card and, and give them fast feast repeat and give them the fasting highway and say, read these, it will change your life. Call me if you want help, <laughs> yeah. you know, and uh, we can't give this away to, to people who don't want it. But um, I just, I, I know their pain because I lived their pain. I, I know it. And yeah. I know now that they don't have to continue. I don't have to continue to be in that pain anymore. And that's what I want for everyone. Yeah, I think it's probably your why that you found for sharing your journey now that you've actually post-obesity, you've got all the weight off and now you're in maintenance mode and that sort of thing. And you're thinking, well, how can I actually pass this information on to other people? And for me, it was this podcast. It was my book, The Fasting Highway, that I wrote. And for you, it's now going on to be an intermittent fasting coach and probably going on to help thousands of people over the next how many other years. 
And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like once you actually see that it works and the conviction is for me is when the weight stays off and you just becomes part of your everyday life and you want to share it. And I don't know about you, Alison, but when I go to a shopping center now and I see an obese people, I'm just crying inside because I want to run up and give them a hug and I want to say, hey, listen, I can really help you. This is what happened for me. But you know, and I know, you can't do that. Because when I was obese, if somebody had come up and said that to me, I would have been pretty offended. I don't know about you. 100%. There's no way that I, uh, I, I totally, it, nobody could have come up to me when I was obese that I would have listened to. And the other thing is, is that now that I am in a right-sized body, and people who don't know my story, they're like, yeah, right. How could you help me? And so um, I, I do things like when I'm at a store and I'm buying clothes and I'm talking to um, the salesperson, I, I'm going to, I'll say, I recently lost 135 pounds. I can't believe it. I need help finding my new size. And I'm saying it as loud as I can, hoping. And then I'm saying, and I did it through intermittent fasting, you know, and I'm hoping people will hear me and get a little bit curious, whether they'll ask me about it or not. It, it, I'm just trying to plant seeds wherever I go. I'm trying to, to plant those seeds so that people know this this is out there and I'm, I'm so happy to see it coming up in the mainstream and um, see see more and more articles about it and more and more books uh, being published yeah funny thing happened actually about speaking about books I went to a coffee meeting with the local Perth delay don't deny community here a big shout out to Erica Corrieri and a lady was sitting there and she was looking at the cover of my book and she goes, oh, I see this book a lot come up on my Kindle. I saw you. And she goes, is that guy American? And she's looking at the picture of me when I was obese. And now, and I said, well, no, that's actually me. And she said, what? She said, you serious? And I said, yeah, that's me. And she couldn't believe it. And now she's um, actually taking up the intermittent fasting herself. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. I know. I. I, um, when I show people my before pictures who didn't know me before, they, they can't believe that it was me, um, the transformation, uh, that we can go through the body recomposition that happens, all of it. It's, it's just incredible. Yeah. And just on the coaching, I always have people say to me, oh, intermittent fasting is free. I don't need to pay for anything. And it is free. Let's face it. But you know, it's like any other service. You can't expect to take people's time up for free and that person to spend hours and hours with you or developing a program for you and sitting with you one-on-one -on -one and helping you through your journey. And I think it's impractical to think that people can do that for nothing. And I think that's a, a myth out there that we need to bust because some people do need extra help. And it doesn't matter what walk of life you're in, we always have to go to a professional when we need extra help, don't we? Yeah, yeah. You know, a coach is going to be your personal guide. Um, and they're going to really be able to help you tailor an intermittent fasting protocol directly that fits you. And, you know, it's true. Intermittent fasting uh, can be done. You know, you don't have to buy any powders or pills or special foods. You don't need any equipment other than a watch or a clock. Right. And so um, I do hear that a lot. So then why hire a coach? And uh, just just like you said, some finds, folks do find that they are more successful with that additional support. 
And, um, you know, a coach can really help you design and map out your fasting practice, uh, help you figure out how to tweak it till it's easy and um, really figure out what's going to work well for you. Because as you and I both know, what works well for some may not necessarily work well for that person. And when you're trying to get your support just from a huge uh, group on the internet, or you're just trying to read a book, you're going to get a lot of suggestions. And most of them aren't going to really pertain to you. They're not going to fit for you. And you're going to be spending a lot of time trying one thing after another until you figure out what really works for you. Whereas a coach is going to know, you know, based on things that you've already shared with them, uh, how to really tailor and what methodology is going to really, really, really work. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. And I think you've also got to realize that everybody's different, Alison. And when I mentor people, I always ask them a few questions at the start, like I'll say, okay, tell me about your life, you know, your family, your kids, um, your work, how busy you are. Do you play sport? You know, what sort of requirements are on your life? How busy are you? What can you do? What can't you do? You know, tell me about your exercise. And I just ask them a series of questions to begin with. So I can get a bit of an insight into what their life is like. And then I can sort of sit down and analyze that and say, well, okay, well, maybe this protocol or that protocol might suit you to start with, and you might be able to handle that. And tell me, is it, is it important for you to always eat with your family in the evenings? Are you a breakfast person? Are you a lunch person? Or are you a dinner person? And as we mentioned, it's a flexible lifestyle. So we can actually tailor different protocols to different people, can't we, Alison? Absolutely. You know, I, I always ask people to really flesh out what are, what are your goals? What are you looking to accomplish? And what are your priorities? What is most important to you? And yeah, you can, you can really learn a lot um, from talking to someone one-on-one -on -one or in a small group, like when I do a group coaching, um, you can really, really learn a lot more about them than you can just, you know, just as an anonymous person on the internet. And so looking at, you know, what have you tried? What, where are you looking for? What are you doing? And what, what, how can I help you? And just like you said, do you prefer breakfast? Do you have a family? What is, are you doing shift work? What kinds of foods are you eating now that are you like? What kinds of foods are causing you trouble that we can we can work on? So there's there's a, a, a plethora of questions that a coach can ask that can really help you tailor your program to what works without you trying you know throwing everything up against a wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, I agree with that. And Alison, just for people out there. They may be starting intermittent fasting and they do find it a struggle. You mentioned there when you started white knuckling to that window. Maybe let's just try and give them a couple of tips there about how they can sort of get through that. Yeah. So the first thing that I always do is we start off with clean fasting, making sure they understand what clean fasting is and are they clean fasting. Um, and so that, that would be my number one. The, the next thing that I look at is what are the fasting hours that they, what is their goal and what are they trying and where are they, ha, have, have they been successful with that or are they struggling? 
And, you know, sometimes what I see with new folks to intermittent fasting is um, just like my, my mindset was the same way. More is better. If I can do it for, you know, this long, then much longer is going to be better. And you're automatically trying to jump into something like alternate day fasting, where you're doing a, a down day with either 500 calories or no, cal- or no food at all for 36 to 40 hours, and then you're doing an up day. And, and when you're new, that's just, it's just too much. It's just too much. Just take a step back and look at, you know, what are you doing? And what kind of hours are you trying? And let, let's really nail that clean fast. Let's find you a fasting sweet spot of how many hours feel good and you're starting to get the results that you're looking for. You're starting to see some of those NSVs come. Uh, your health markers are starting to improve. So that's, those are the first two things, clean fasting and then what are the hours that you're looking at. And then you can start looking at what, what are the types of foods that you're eating? Um, one of the things I know I, I hear you talk about all the time, and it's something I say all the time, is, is my food window worthy? You know, for me, I'm eating in a four-hour window. Is what I'm eating worthy of that? Or is it junk through a drive-thru? You know, pretty early on for me, um, the drive-thrus were no longer window worthy, and I, I was no longer attracted to that food. Um, highly processed foods started becoming less and less attractive. And I started really wanting more whole foods and really wanting to make kind of the most bang for my buck of my four hours. And so that's what I would look uh, and ask them, you know, what, what's the quality of the food that you're eating during your window? Because that can also be setting you up. You know, if you're eating a lot of highly processed foods, your fast is probably going to be a little bit harder the next day. And so let's take a look at that. Are you opening with uh, something that's high in fat? Because that can really help you. Or closing your window with something high in fat. That the higher fat, like having some cheese or olives or something like that, can really help you stay uh, a lot more satiated until through your fast. And so just looking at, at, at those types of things can can really help you kind of have a smoother start as you get going. And, and the other thing is, is that you don't have to start with 16 hours. You can start with as minimum as 12 hours. And the research is showing that even just fasting 12 hours, people are living longer and that they're having uh, benefits. And so start where you can and then move up. Don't, don't push yourself to where it's so difficult you, you, you don't want to do it. Yeah, and I think that's why we do get an attrition rate sometimes with intermittent fasting because people push themselves too hard too early. They get into these groups, they see all these things like mealless Mondays, 40-hour fast, all that sort of thing, and they don't understand. You need to be able to start slowly to get your body used to it and build up to those sort of things later on down the track. And I always say to somebody, First three months, all I want you to do, nail a clean fast and get to a point in your eating window where you're practicing eating to that satiety and then you're stopping. And a lot of people I think um, that I speak to anyway, they sometimes misunderstand that message of what an eating window is, whether it's two hours, four hours, six hours. And some people think that they can just continuously eat for two, four or six hours. And then when I explain to them, look, that's just a time frame, right? 
So the whole idea of it is you fast that clean for that period of time. And then when it comes to an eating window, you eat to a point where you're satisfied, not stuffed. And then you stop. That may only be half an hour in that four hours. That may only be 20 minutes in that four hours. It depends. But you've got to get that message. You just eat in that window of time, not for the entire length of the window. Yes, absolutely. That is another mistake I see people do is uh, basically they graze through whatever their eating window is. And um, what I tell people is, you know, um, so for example, for me, particularly because I have a gastric bypass and um, I, I've worked with folks who, who, who have had um, weight loss surgery, uh, we have to have some smaller meals. I can't eat as much quantity as I might need in one sitting. That's why my eating windows are usually not shorter than four hours because I'll eat a small meal and I'll stop and I'll wait for that to kind of digest and, and make room. And then I'll eat a, a little bit bigger meal and then stop. And that usually takes me the four hours, but that's that's about the same amount of food that you would have in uh, a restaurant meal if you were having, you know, an appetizer and a, and a main course and maybe a, a finisher or a dessert or something. I'm just stretching it out over four hours, but I'm not eating the entire four hours um, because, yeah, then then I'm just setting myself up to have a more difficult fast. I really like what you said too about when you open your fast, opening it with something and higher in fat. And I found that quite early to be so great. It just took away that urge when your window opens, particularly if you are a person that's white knuckling early on, that you just want to eat everything in sight. And so I found when I had something higher in fat, the cheeses you mentioned or something like that. So I'd have some cheese and crackers and maybe some cold meats or something like that. And I just felt like it took the edge off. And then I was able to pause and then maybe wait for a little while and then have my main meal for the day, and that was it. And so also, Alison, what about beverages? We know what part beverages play too, and I think people need to get that point. Sometimes beverages can derail you too with your window. Yeah, so again, during the clean fast, only water, sparkling water, black coffee, or black tea. Um, but you also want to look at is the beverage you're having window worthy? So, you know, if you want to have your uh, creamy coffee in your window, that's absolutely fine. Uh, but you want to watch, um, I see a lot of people uh, who are drinking so much that they can't eat as much nutritious food. And so their window uh, is all, it's not sustainable. It's not sustaining uh, nutrition the way that they're doing that. But yeah, and, and the other thing is, is are, are you drinking sugar? You know, are you drinking a lot of uh, sodas and things like that? You know, it, I, I'm not here to say any food is good or bad or not okay, but um, if you're struggling, you're gonna wanna look at that. And so maybe, you know, start to, to look at, can I delay having three sodas in my window and have, you know, I love that mantra, delay, don't deny, right? It's okay to have a soda. Let's not have a six pack, you know, let's have one and, and say, we'll delay the rest for another time, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's like if you had a four hour eating window and let's say you drank three cans of Coke, right? So that's three cans of Coke over a four hour eating window is 30 teaspoons of sugar, right? 
So you imagine putting that 30 teaspoons of sugar into you. And then like you, you were drinking 12 cans a day. You were drinking 100 teaspoons of sugar just in the Coke or the sodas, whatever it was. So when you took them out and you started seeing the results, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, the mostly what I was drinking was diet soda, but the sweeteners, the artificial sweeteners, do the same chemical reaction in your brain that sugar does. And so your brain doesn't know the difference. And um, it, it has made such such a difference to me to, to no longer be, be drinking uh, all that soda. I'm not getting so full that I can't eat my delicious food. And so uh, I'm, I, and so I don't have to stretch out my window because I didn't get to eat all my food. That that's the other thing that people will, will I will see is people will, you know, I have a plan of how much food I'm going to eat, and I get to satiety before I'm done eating my planned food. So then I'm going to either try and stuff it in, or I'm going to lengthen my window so I can eat all that food. And what I I try to encourage people to do is. When your body says it's full, when, when you get to that satiety, when you feel that sigh, it's okay to stop. And you can save the rest for your next window. But you don't have to cram it all in. You don't have to, you know, your bot, listen to your body. Your body knows what it needs. And it's okay to stop. So. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, you've given some great insights today, Allison. So before we go, can we just get your plugs or how people can get hold of you? Where can I find you? Sure. Well, in my uh, bio, that will be there is a link to um, to my landing page. But they can also always just send me an email. It's at allison at youriffcoach.com. That's a l l i s o n at y o u r i f c o a c h dot com. So allison at youriffcoach.com. Uh, send me an email and, and I can I can get you all the information that you need. Well, thank you so much, Alison. And you've given me the inspiration. It's actually something I've been considering myself. And I think you've pushed me over the line today. And really thank you for that. So, Alison Woods, thank you for joining me here today on the Fasting Highway. Thank you. It's been an honor. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Alison. Bye. Thank you so much, Alison. I think that was a wonderful chat. You offered some great insights and some advice there. And I can see that you will make a great intermittent fasting coach. And thank you for sharing your own journey with us here today. I look forward to maybe catching you up in a special episode where we can just talk about intermittent fasting coaching and how we can help people in the beginning stages and troubleshoot some issues that may have. And also coming up next week on the podcast, I'm going to be joined by Keith McDonald. And Keith is from Canada, and Keith was back in episode 50, if you want to go back and listen to that episode before next week. And Keith and I are just going to talk as two guys that both lost 100 pounds, and we're going to jam, if you like, about intermittent fasting, and, and just talk about the ups and downs and everything that we sort of encountered along the way. And we're two guys that have lost a lot of weight with IF, but we both agree it's not all about weight loss, there's so much more to it. And we go into that in a bit of detail next week. So that's next week, Keith McDonald and I. Anyway, until then, be well, be safe. And remember, clean fasting is everlasting.